more than anything is just a horse that won't quit. There's no way he finishes. I owe him the chance. Get up. I'm Tim Finley, and this is To Live With Honor. Chapter 14. Back from the Mouth of Hell. While horse and hero fell, they that had fought so well, came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell. Alfred Lord Tennyson, The Charge of the Light Brigade. October 25, 1854, British troops led by incompetent and discordant leadership engaged a well-organized Russian Cossack force across a valley in the Crimea. As the battle raged, Russian forces maneuvered against the British attack. Brits fell in piles as Lord Cardigan, the cavalry commander, received orders to charge the Russian artillery. Upon receipt of his orders, Cardigan asked which battery he was to assault. Quote, there is your target, Lord Cardigan, said Captain Nolan, as he waved his hand in no one direction, frustrated by the impending loss. The order intended to get the Light Brigade, a swift, unarmored cavalry unit, to charge and overwhelm a maneuvering artillery battery. The movement of the battery made it vulnerable to such a charge. That battery was not visible from Cardigan's position, and the only Russian battery in view was a well-entrenched line of cannons firing down on the valley from elevated terrain. An assault by a light brigade onto that battery equated to mass suicide. But the order, as Cardigan understood it, was given. Cardigan readied his lines. 668 men and horses, armed with sabers and lances. I don't know what he said to his men. I can't imagine what he said to transform 600 plus men into a singular wave of courageous rage. The kind that would run headlong into the fires of hell. Because they did. A line of over 600 horses faced down the hill. Unsettled steeds and unsettled men 
rattled in their tack and weaponry. Cardigan shouted the command, and a rolling, thunderous wave of cavalry cascaded into the valley, sabers lofted, lances aimed. Cannon opened up on them from three sides, slaughtering swaths of men and horses. Upon reaching the cannons, what remained of the cavalry slashed from horseback and on foot, emboldened by some sort of enraged lunacy. Russians fled in horror from their positions as Brits massacred the scattering Cossacks. The fleeing Russians regrouped with reinforcements and repulsed the cavalry. After charging across the killing field, the quote, Valley of Death, the few surviving cavalry, quote, not the 600, ran back across the field, returning through a morbid meadow littered with wailing dying men and bloodied horse carcasses. The cannons opened fire again, killing even more cavalry in their retreat. 668 horses made the charge. 335 were killed. Half the entire British Light Brigade was mowed down in the Valley of Death in one charge. Yet one particular horse lived. One horse, one leading the charge, not only survived the charge, but was also the sole survivor of four horses brought over from England by his owner. Before the Crimean War, he was a champion racehorse in Britain, the favorite of his owner, Captain Godfrey Morgan. The horse suffered a saber-induced gash across his left eye during the hilltop melee. But witnesses said he fought with ferocity, leaping over cannons and engaging enemy troops. Two years later, following the Crimean War, the horse returned home to become a champion racehorse again. Sir Briggs, unofficially knighted upon his return home, remains as he fought and lived, on his feet. He was buried by order of Captain Morgan, standing up. Every book ever written regarding the science of horses states they are flight animals. For whatever reason, God puts fire in some hearts. swayed on wavering legs by sheer force of will. Blood smeared across his chest, neck, and legs, gluing thin curled wood shavings in place. The four mortals bearing witness seized in reverence. Even the hair on my knuckles stood at attention. Angels stood at attention. No one spoke a word. No words needed to be spoken. Honor dared us as he swung his head to and fro, as if he had suddenly been awoken in the middle of a fever dream where he had been fighting off saber-wielding enemies on all sides. But he didn't look afraid. I didn't see fear. I saw rage. He looked older. Holy shit. I don't believe it, the tech said. He didn't blink. I don't know what I believe.
dock? Yeah. What is this? Uh, a horse? I, I think. I, I thought. Is my horse a zombie? Should we be running away? No, they can sense fear. Just back away slowly. I moved slow steps to honor and reached out my hand. His breath steamed my palm. Honor's eyes widened and his ears swiveled, aiming in all directions. His ribs expanded in proud breaths. The boyish expression was gone, and a smoldering darkness took hold of his eyes. He inhaled fuel right out of the air and exhaled smoke. His eyes burned. Honor had gone somewhere and returned. In quiet subtlety, I leaned my head in towards his and matched his dangerous gaze. Welcome back. After minutes of weighted silence, the tech gave us the okay. We dismantled the IV and plucked the needle from his neck. We loaded Honor back onto the bloody trailer and hauled the same horse with the same injury as the first two trips. But he wasn't the same horse. This wasn't a dying horse. This was a horse named Honor. And he lived. We repeated the previous day's emergency, but the panic of the day before never took traction. Honor dragged his leg beneath him, dropping his head with every limp, then yanked it up, flinging his leg forward. Honor pushed forward, unaided. His shoes clopped against the concrete faster than the day before. He walked back into the sterile smell of antiseptics and alfalfa. Like so many things, no, like everything, one time through and Honor was a veteran. He walked himself into the same chest-high emergency stall and stood at attention, awaiting his combat medic to patch him up. Dr. Lamb greeted us at the door and assessed Honor. He pressed the stethoscope up against Honor's side, listening to his breathing, and then checked his gums, now starting to show color. The tech began repeating the process of cleaning the wound, as well as removing and replacing the sutures. He whispered to the vet everything he had seen. Confusion and amazement wrinkled Dr. Lamb's face. We'll run some tests and see where his PCV is. Judging by the amount of blood he's lost this time with an already low count, he's definitely in the window for transfusion. He paused. I watched his expression soften. But by the look of it, you wouldn't think he needs it. He refrained from stating out loud what everyone was thinking. The tech continued the tedious process of restitching every knot as fluid drained from another clear bag. This time, despite an even lower blood count, Honor's head required no assistance. Instead, I stood back with Missy and looked on, dumbfounded. The vet left the room and came back holding several pages of test results. His eyes gaped under strained brows, derailing his soft bedside manner. 
His PCV is well below 20%. Did he ever lose consciousness at the house? His eyes twinkled with curiosity. I'm not sure. But if not, he was as close as one could be, I guess. He was sweaty and cold and wasn't moving, but I, I couldn't tell if he was awake and aware or, or even alive. A horse's circulatory system is a phenomenal machine. Honors is phenomenal even by phenomenal standards. He paused and looked back at the papers. He's got quite a heart. Why's that? Tim. The doctor leaned down to whisper, his breath laden with professional sincerity. Based on his numbers now and what they would have been at the house. He wiped his hand flat over his mouth, dragging it down to his chin, where it remained in a pensive fist. I'd find it hard to believe that he's alive, much less standing here like this. He grimaced, challenging the numbers on the page to change. They didn't. I smiled for the first time in 48 hours. They're just numbers on a paper, Doc. The soft-spoken doctor broke from his convention for a moment. His demeanor opened to share an honest smile. I don't use words like never or always or all or none, because when I do, some horse owner brings in the exception. Yours is the exception. Most. He stopped mid-sentence to smile. This would have killed most horses. By that I mean, honor is the exception. We'll patch him up and get him stabilized. I think this time around it would be beneficial to keep him here. We may be looking at adrenal response, and if he crashes, he'll need immediate treatment. We're not out of the woods. Because he's been acutely anemic for this long with two back-to-back -back traumas, we need to keep an eye on him for compounding issues. What do you mean by compounding issues? We could be facing any number of things. Shock, sepsis, spleen dysfunction, systemic failures, and colic. This sort of long-duration trauma carries serious implications. A horse's circulatory system, especially the spleen, is capable of hemorrhaging large volumes of blood without much, if any, consequence, but not this much. If I had to wager a guess based on his numbers now and yesterday, I'd estimate he's lost over five gallons of blood in two days. In fairness to honor, five is probably conservative. So once he's stabilized, what can we do? Keep him comfortable, clean, hydrated, and make sure he's eating a nutrient-dense diet to replenish what he's lost. Beyond that, all we can do is wait. I wanted to ask him for what, but I knew the answer, and didn't want to burden him with answering it. I imagine asking a doctor that question is like asking a soldier how many people he's killed. Instead, I forced a bit of optimism. No treatments or surgeries or anything like that. A thought flickered in the darkness to maybe fix him. Aside from muscular sutures, I'm afraid there's not much we can do in that regard. He's young, though. Younger horses are pretty resilient, and honor seems to be even more so. I wouldn't rule anything out, but to be fair to you, Tim, there's a high likelihood he's crippled. Stranger things have happened, and again, I won't say never, but the chance of him ever competing is slim. What's more, forcing it on him could greatly endanger him. I respected his words. Doctors are paid to save life and abate suffering. The best doctors do both with tactful honesty. Following his second stint in the emergency rack, we ushered Honor back to the stall we walked him out of just hours prior. Unfortunately, 
Missy and I needed to return to the house to feed the rest of the furry clan Finley and wouldn't be able to stay long with honor. Both exhausted, we cut our goodbyes short. Neither of us mentioned the writing on the wall, that being what this second round would cost or where that money would even come from. The wedding had drained us of everything save the gift money set aside for a modest honeymoon. None of that mattered right now. We closed the gate behind Honor, and I hugged Missy, who hung somewhere between a micro-nap and emotional hurricane against my chest. She buried her face into my shirt and hid there for a moment. You guys are more than welcome to come visit him anytime and as often as you want. I'm sure he'd appreciate it. The doctor's warmth pulled Missy up from my chest. She smiled. I felt cool dampness on my shirt as she pulled away. Thanks. Missy turned to me, her face glistening from smudged tears. Are we being stupid? What do you mean? This is going to be outrageously expensive and more than we can afford right now. All for the sake of salvaging a pasture pony. I love him, Tim. He's an amazing horse and all this breaks my heart. But are we being ridiculous trying to hold on to this? She pleaded for a rational, intelligent response. I was not a horse person. I couldn't refute with logic what she, an equine genius, understood with instinct. I just can't see a future for him. Her mouth doubled over at the corners as hope dripped from her cheeks. We'll use the wedding money. What? But that's our honeymoon money. That's our start our life together money. We already started our life together. I nodded to Honor, and he's part of it, for better or worse. We don't need money, but we do need Honor. So what if he's a pasture pony? So what if he's crippled for life? So what? I wanted to see him run more than anyone, but he's alive. I trailed off in contemplation of the words ending my sentence. I'm okay with Honor dragging around a dead leg for the next however many years he lives. I won't just give up on him. So long as he breathes, Honor gets a chance. Okay. Missy replanted her face in my chest, breathing easy, exhausted wind against my shirt. Honor mellowed in the stall as we said our goodbyes. I reached for Missy's hand and held it in a delicate grip. I kissed it. Missy offered a sorrowful smile. Her reddened eyes flushed. These were good tears the kind the heart saves for special moments and that fall by force of love. With a confident smile of my own, I winked at her, and we turned and walked away hand in hand. I snuck a glance back into the stall. Honor stood in the back left corner, motionless and expressionless. It reminded me of a horse, one that I once knew. I smiled at him as we stepped away. No need for apologies this time. The next few days crept at a geologic pace. Work wasn't work, it was waiting. I sat in my flight suit at the squadron, preoccupied with thoughts of a horse. The doctor mentioned all that remained was the wait. Waiting leads to thinking, thinking leads to worrying, worrying leads to the dark side. Before you know it, you're a half-machine, former Jedi, red saber-wielding attack dog for some vile emperor chopping the hand off your own son. But I wasn't the only one wrestling with the weight. Missy, whose vet tech job took her to the same side of town as the hospital, 
missed her turn going to work, her subconscious GPS taking her to where her heart was. She visited him when time allotted at work. Unfortunately, Tinker Air Force Base is on the southeast side of town, a 45-minute drive on the freeway. By day three, the secondhand updates coming from Missy stopped sating my need to know and need to see. How does an Air Force captain make time from work to go see an injured horse and make it sound plausible to senior leadership? He doesn't. So I took a day of leave to spend an afternoon with Honor. I don't know what I plan to do for four hours, but then again, what does an injured horse combined to a 12 by 15 stall bored out of his mind do for an entire week? I showed up unannounced, parked the Tiburon next to our horse trailer, and walked in through the barn door. Still wearing an olive drab flight suit, I walked to the last stall on the left. The moment I crossed into view, Honor startled. His head jumped up from the floor and his ears locked forward. He came to the gate dragging one dead leg and chewed on my sleeve through the fence. Okay, okay, hold on. Before opening the gate, I grabbed a nearby folding chair. I entered the stall and set the chair up in the middle of the concrete rectangle. I reached into my leg pocket and unsheathed two treats I had snagged from the trailer. Honor destroyed them in seconds. He then proceeded to chew, tug, and slobber on every fold of my uniform. He bounced his head while clutching my sleeve. There's an admirable quality in a horse, incapable of feeling sorry for himself or lamenting what he can't control. Honor danced despite the wound in his chest. His ears swirled in a mambo of excitement. I guess the doc was right. You need a damn jolly ball or something in here, man. This is downright depressing. I scratched up and down his neck. Honor stretched it against pectoral stiffness. <laughs> I guess I'm your jolly ball. I shoved his snout away, which he then returned fire and nipped at my hand. I showered Honor with affection for several minutes and then plopped down in the chair. I could smell the draining wound, but ignored it. Instead, I pulled out my phone and played chess, working in bouts of the pinch game with Honor. More than anything, I just wanted to be near him, in his orbit. Maybe I was right. Maybe horses don't understand a lick of English. But I'd like to think they understand loyalty. I wanted Honor to understand mine. So I sat. And sat. And played with Honor. And sat. And played chess. And sat. And sat. My ass grew numb in the chair. I didn't need to remind myself of Honor's discomfort. If my company meant anything to him, I'd stay until my own legs went dead. I slouched in the chair, legs kicked forward into the shavings, Honor drooling on my shoulder. A voice carried in from the hallway. Oh, hey, good to see you, Tim. I was just coming back for my final round of the afternoon. He pointed to the tech accompanying him. She was going to feed him and clean him up a little, but if you'd like to feed him, you're more than welcome. Oh, the irony. Yeah, sure, you got a feeding matrix that involves calculus. If the feeding regimen here is anything like it is at the Finley Ranch, well, man, I hate math. He laughed. No, no math. See that bucket? He pointed to a large black industrial trash can. The honor gets as much of that as he wants. <laughs> Christ, we'll never get him home. He'll malinger until we have to keep him here for obesity. Funny you mention it. The doctor was much less clinical and more familiar and friendly. Why's that? Because he does the cliché, eat like a horse justice. It's astonishing the way he shrugs it off. 
We had a grade school class come through here yesterday, and they all stopped at Honor's stall because he was so playful. They loved him as much as he loved the attention. He's so well-natured. You have a real gem here. Yeah, he sure loves the attention. So you think he's going to be okay? I started toward the feed bin and scooped out a heaping serving. We walked back to the stall with Honor jumping out of his puffy skin at the sight of grain. His numbers are still very low and we're cleaning and watching the wound to make sure it doesn't become septic. Honestly, it's up to him. I dumped the grain into Honor's feed bucket. He shoved my slowness out of the way and buried his snout into the grain. How so? Most horses, when this kind of trauma occurs, lose their appetite or thirst drive. They're flight animals, and when unable to run away due to injury or illness, it's almost instinctive to give up. So it becomes a challenge to get them to overcome that herd instinct and actually eat and push fluids. I heard the rumble of moving stars. In a nutshell, he has to save himself. Fucking save yourself! A supersonic fist punched my chest. My skin tightened and crawled. What? In the wild, as a way to keep the herd strong, lame or sick animals without the physical ability to keep going... No, after that, what did you say? Uh, oh, I said he has to save himself. I mean, essentially, he has to d decide it for himself. I stared at the doctor with stupid eyes. I vanished into the moment as the cosmos reduced to a singularity of perfect simplicity. The faces of Dover marched forth from the shadows and stood at silent attention, circling us. Their tattered uniforms smoldered and glowed with snaking embers. Then each burst into flames. Years of bitter memories combusted, towering into a heaven-high pyre. The mangled hollow faces of failed promises and disappointments spiraled into the air as feathery paper ashes. They were gone, abolished into some swan song nether. You still live for honor guards. Their voices were gone, and their faces were erased by flashpoint flames. Their fleeting presence hollowed out a place in my mind. A vacuum filled in the next moment by a beautiful woman and a living horse. Somehow, I was confused but understood everything. I looked at Honor with new eyes and saw something I had never seen. I saw a future. Not a promise, but a choice. Sweat beaded across my brow. He pulled his head up from the bucket and looked at me with his quiet charm. I read his face. Hello. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Oh Lord. It was the only word Honor knew. 
horses have a way with words. I thought about Tennyson's charge of the Light Brigade and Sir Briggs. So, he's got a chance? There may come a day when he's able to do more than just ornament the pasture, but I can't really say if or when that happens. He's got a long road ahead, and there's a real likelihood this is a permanent lameness. He'll be able to do whatever he wants to do. You let him tell you. A lot of owners make the mistake of asking more of a horse than is fair, and that comes from unrealistic expectations. It may not be what you want, but if you let him do what he wants, he'll tell you what he can and can't do. But I have to say, lame or not, he's a good horse. Doc, I give you my word. I will never ask him to do something he doesn't want to do. I believe you. He smiled. Change step. Hi. Sorry about the wait. A little off-air news, I moved during the break, which is partly why I left you with the Pale Horse Trilogy so you could slowly digest that, as well as go back and start connecting some of those dots. So welcome back to the ride. I hope it was worth the wait. If you're on Instagram, be sure to follow us on the podcast's new profile, at To Live With Honor. There you'll find a lot more honor, more equine therapy resources for all of our featured programs, photos from their website Compendium by Chapter, and a lot less of my uninteresting daily life. Additionally, we've set up a new Patreon account. That's slash to live with honor, linked in the show notes. If you're enjoying the ride, we truly hope you'll stop by and sign up as a patron. With every dollar given, you help fund the crew, the voices, and advance the reach of veteran assistance programs all across the country. Speaking of which, a little bit about the crew you're hearing. All the voices you hear, save my own, are local actors or performing arts majors from a diverse performance background from Shakespeare to character comedy to musicals who have all contributed their talent to the production. This incredible team has bent over backwards to support not just the production, but also its purpose and message. This would absolutely not be possible without their amazing and earnest contributions and expertise. And for that, I do hope you'll stop by the Patreon page and show your gratitude for the art that they continue to provide to the world. 
This episode, we're featuring Lovesome Stables in Dry Ridge, Kentucky. It's between Lexington and Cincinnati. Winston Churchill said, The outside of a horse is good for the inside of a man. Unless you get chucked to the ground at speed by a horse that hates you and everything else, but that's another story for later. But at Lovesome Stables, where presumably their horses are much more affectionate and attuned to human contact, Churchill's words shine through. They have a specialized veteran program focused on assisting veterans fighting PTSD and substance abuse. Kentucky has the best horses in the world. Fight me. And I know a lot of you former 101st Screaming Eagle guys, 5th Group, and Fort Knox guys are missing out on it. Don't. Take a minute, give them a call, and go get you some horse love for a day. It's good for your insides. You can find them at lovesomestables.com, linked in the show notes. That's lovesomestables.com. Be sure to drop by, give us a five-star review, leave a written review, and share us with someone who needs this story. I'm Tim Finley. This is To Live With Honor. Live fierce. This all ends. <laughs>